Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along V8 Sleuth Podcast for another week. We are in the aftermath, the cleanup mode for the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park. But you know what? We're not even thinking about Albert Park. We are thinking eyes forward. We are looking out the windscreen, driving down the road towards the Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint at Wildale. What is it called these days? It's not Wanneroo anymore, is it? No, no, no. Well, well, you can still call it Wanneroo, but the official name is carco.com.au Raceway. So Wanneroo Raceway is the round of choice for the next championship. <laughs> How many people do you think are going to call it that? Uh, a few. I reckon we'll hear it a lot in the broadcast. Okay, well, I, ca- I can't remember it. Seriously, it's Wanneroo. It took me long enough to change back from Barbagello to Wanneroo. Anyway, it took a while to change to Barbagello. It did, it did, and then it was time to change back. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we thought we'd look ahead to the next round of the championship, but put a sleuth slant on it. We're not going to talk about the current championship, the point score, who's where, who's what, parody, Gen 3, all that stuff. We're going to go into history because we actually thought when you look at it, there is so much history, weird stuff, cool stuff, interesting stuff that's happened in the championship at that track over the, well, not just the past few years, but all the years that the championship's been going there. And part of the storyline of racing at the Western Australian Circuit has been not racing at the Western Australian Circuit. That's <laughs> yes. actually been part of the timeline over mm. history because we've been going there, and I hate where we say we've been going there. Oh, I haven't been. Um, I certainly haven't been. No, 1973 was the first time that the Touring Car Championship went to Wanneroo Raceway. So it's actually an anniversary year this year, 2023, 50th anniversary. There you go. Yeah, so there's even more reason for us to be taking this look back. When you think of Wanneroo, what's the number one moment that comes to mind? Moment? I I thought you were just going to say generally sand is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, Number one moment, probably uh, get them or have them off. Really? 2012? Yeah, 2012. Get them or have them off. Mark Mark Dutton's best radio message ever. So – I still don't know how Will Davison won that race because that was FPR at Triple Eight at its finest. Mm. Winterbottom and Davison versus Winkup and Lowndes. Lowndes wasn't in the fight for that particular win. Will Davison's on dead soft tyres. The other two have caught him and they get stuck fighting one another and he hangs on to win, which is you know quite unbelievable how he did it all. But Dutton's – that was into the last corner he drops that radio message. Like, well, I mean, where else late, are you going to tell bit him? bit late. Well, he had a few laps before that to do something about it. Last opportunity. Bit you late. want to win the race, Jamie? Here's, here's your game plan. Uh, didn't here's work. the playbook. Didn't work. I was in the pit lane. I cannot remember why I was doing pit lane for Channel 7 that weekend uh, or for that day. I, I don't even know. But that seemed to be the round that I ended up getting inserted into roles that weren't my normal role <laughs> because the year before was the fireball and I was in the commentary box because I think there was a royal wedding. Yeah, I that think that's out. when Kate and William got married. I think you'd be correct. And I think Maddie White went to the royal wedding, or not to the wedding, but went to the UK for the and coverage of it, it for, seven. for Channel 7, hence why I ended up in the box when Steve Owen ploughed in the back of... Carl Reindler. Um, and then I think a few years later, 
Crompo, Crompo was on was six crook. cylinders, yeah, yeah in t- I th- I 2014. Think he, I think he was on about four by the, the time that they pulled him out of the commentary box. Um, so, yeah, there was a bit of weirdness going on in that, that period. But 2012, get him or have him off, that had a lot of people, ooh, 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 at the time. But that's the sort of fodder that the sport needs more of and we're actually having that discussion in recent weeks and months. Here we are, yeah. 11 years on. We're back in that cycle of, oh, the sport should really add a bit more colour, a bit more intensity and a bit more vocal passion. It's that time again. It's that time. Uh, that was a good one. Um, the fireball sticks out to me. Not because well, I was in the box. It sticks but out to Carl Reindler and Steve Owen as well. Yeah, that's very true. Because it gets replayed every year for Perth. Mm. My wife says to me, she goes, you really love that Wanneroo's on every year because they play your voice all the time. <laughs> well, well, not really what I'm looking for, but it's one way to get remembered in broadcasting, that's for sure. That's true. Um, <laughs> because it was one of those ones where you see it with your eyes and think, did I just see what I think I saw? Like, bang, fireball everywhere, car flies up in the air from the rear end. And the, my big worry there was you couldn't tell who the other car was. Mm. So I was very remiss to make comment on who it was because the back shots were hard to see. What's well, the other thing? Like from the perspective of a commentator, that's a that's a very intense moment to be commentating and you're not sure if the – not A, who the other driver is and B – what their condition is. So you've yeah. got to be, I imagine you've got to be very careful about what you say and how you say it. Yeah, I mean, it's an enormous incident. It's spectacular. But you can't get carried away with the spectacularness mm. of it all and the wow factor because, but it is, I mean, it is extraordinary vision. But there's still a guy sitting in that car and a guy sitting in the other car. Mm. They have families watching or might not be watching and don't know what's going on. Yeah. So it's kind of getting the – it's a very um, – it's a tightrope between informing, having the right lens on it, but also the covering it off moment. in a way that's, you know, not shirking what's going on. Once it was clear it was Steve Owen because it was a black Commodore, that mm, VIP There were a few car, of those that year. Um, I think Todd Kelly started down the back and – it was a bit hard to tell. Hmm. So I figure if in doubt, leave it out. Yeah. Um, it was the same scenario on the weekend at the Grand Prix actually when uh, Simon Fallon flipped in the Porsche Carrera Cup uh, oh, qualifying. Yeah. Um, he's in a Bob Jane T-Mart's car. There's three of them. Yeah. You could tell it wasn't Edge Missouris because he pulled up alongside to help next him. To it. Yeah. But I didn't know which car was in the pit lane. So until we knew absolutely – yeah, you'd rather not get that sort of stuff wrong. That's for sure. That's for sure. The other thing that sticks out, I mean, you said about the sand before, but think about the changes at that place over time. I mean, the pit lane from outside to inside. Uh, from, the, from a different location entirely. It was over the back yeah. towards what's now Cold Corner. Yeah, where the start line used to be on the run down there. Now, now yes. to the other end yeah. of the track. And, of course, a lot of people might not know that because in those early years, I mean, the 73 round, as far as I know, I've never seen any broadcast vision. There is a snippet on YouTube of mm. amateur vision that is really colour and it goes yeah. for a while. It's it's silent from my memory. But that's a, that's a historic round, not just because it's the first Perth round. Is that the only time a Subaru's ever appeared in the history of the championship? Correct. It is the only start for a Subaru across the 60-plus years of the Australian Touring Car Championship what, and Repco Supercars Championship. Uh, what was it? What sort of Subi? So it was a Subaru GSR, I believe, um, and the driver was 
a Hungarian immigrant named Elamov Voida. Who, not George Fury. Not George Fury. Um, and he raced that car at Wanneroo um, for years and years and years in ver- in all the local racing, but that was his only appearance in a championship round and therefore Subaru's only appearance in a championship round. You never know what you're going to learn on the V8 Sleuth podcast. That's one to take to the pub for the next time you're having a bit of may I offer a tidbit. Yes, um, apologies for the pronunciation if I sprayed it. I'm no, not that up with Hungarian not pronunciation. Not a bad effort, not a bad effort. So Moffat won, did he not, in the Phase 3 HO? He did. And Brock would have finished second, surely. Correct. In the XU1, yeah, yeah. So a long way to go back in that period and the championship disappeared for five years. Yeah. Well, again, it's a long way to go. So the promoters in terms of outlaying to get star drivers across to make it worthwhile. Like you look at the list of interstate drivers that raced in that 73 race. You had Moffat, you had Brock, you had John Goss, Pete Gagan, Murray Carter, Graham Ritter. That was it. Mm, mm. And the rest uh, of the field of 20-something cars was filled with local local races. Yeah, and that was kind of the way it was for a long time because if there was drivers or teams doing the championship, they just – didn't generally go to Perth, mm. just a bridge too far. But you always had a top-up of locals who th- that was their one weekend that they could actually race against the stars who had come across from the eastern seaboard. So and that became a theme throughout the throughout the late 70s, early 80s, late 80s into the supercars era with guys like Tim Slaco, Alf Barbagallo, Ian Love, mm. uh, Alan McCarthy, all these guys race who – Claude Georgie, all these guys who raced locally – um, and then the big show would come to town and they'd take them on. Mm. I mean, it was always a bit of a, a tough fight to be able to take on the, the visiting big names, but it gave them their, their opportunity. So in 78 when they went back, that was historic too because that was the first one, two, three. The Holden Dealer team had a one, two, three with Brock Harvey and Wayne Negus who was the, the Perth The local um, HT Connection, yeah, yeah, in all of that. And that's when um, they actually ran two heats. Yes. For that round, which a lot of people probably um, overlook. But I've got a feeling that maybe it's 79 or 78. I've seen vision of that from the ABC coverage. We've got it on file here somewhere. Someone gave us a copy of that from way back when, yeah. way back when. I don't think it's ever seen the light of day. So, But there was no Moffat or Bond there that weekend, so that kind of took away – some of the competitive element to, to that one. But well, I was in the middle of the whole roller rockers thing. This was off the back of Sandown and eventually both the Moffat dealer team and the Holden dealer team cars were um, suspended for the Calder round. Mm. Um, I, I think Moffat and Bond just didn't enter for this one. They weren't actually suspended by that point. Tell me about – there's a note you've researched here. What <laughs> happened to qualifying that year in 78 at Wanneroo? For, for full credit, I didn't research this. This was in the notes in our database that Shane had Take Shane the credit. Put take in. the credit. Come on. Um, Australian competition year, so the yearbook of 1978 for Motorsport in Australia, uh, reported that the timing of qualifying was thrown into chaos after the chief timekeeper and officials had a dispute and the timekeeper walked out and took his stopwatches with him. <laughs> So all cars were timed to the second rather than anything more precise than that. What, because there was someone sitting in the tower going, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, (laughs) three Mississippi. Just looking down at their watch very intently. Oh, wow. Let's hope that never happens again. That's a little bit of an awkward one. Murray Carter had issues, though, I remember, too. There was an airline dispute. I think it was in the early 80s when he was in his Falcon. So he couldn't fly to Perth from Melbourne. So he drove through the night – Nights, yes. Got there at one a.m. Sunday morning. Miss practice. Miss qualifying. 
start at the rear of the grid and finished on the podium <laughs> behind Brock and Johnson. It's a heck of a story, isn't it? I mean, if and again, like we we live in an era where we don't really have too many airline strikes nowadays. I can't remember the last one. Maybe oh. a baggage handler's strike in in recent years or threats yeah. of it. Yeah, uh, it seemed like those sort of things seem to impact Australia a lot more often back in the day because. You th- uh, thinking back to when we had Jim Richards on the podcast a couple of years ago, he talked about the first sort of block of time he spent with Peter Brock of any mm. sort of consequence was in a car driving back from WA because there was an airline strike on mm. and they needed to get back. Mm. I think that was in the mid-70s from mm. memory. After like a sports sedan race or something. Yeah. Because it was before the Bathurst wins. Yeah. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. When you think of impact and you go back to the 80s, one of the most impactful elements if you ask fans of the Group C era of touring cars, is 83 mm. because Moffat, oh, I love Alan Moffat in that he, <laughs> he thought big and he did stuff that was smart and, he and you know, I, I loved how he used to bring international drivers and had all those sponsors and he ran his race team with this real us v them. Like a siege mentality. Yeah, basically. yeah, and, and I love that. I reckon that stuff's brilliant. Mm. But what he did in 83 was, and this was when Formula One was, they'd brought back refueling, hadn't they, in they F1 had. at the this time? This was peak refueling era yeah. in Formula One. So he tw- he figured that the Mazda should do a mid-race stop for fuel because it will run light and, you know, he can make time rather than being lumbered with a full tank of fuel. And there are a couple of decent hills at Wanneroo as yeah, well. Yeah, you had to power so your like, way up the hill yeah. and you know, coming down the hill is a bit easier. But So by the time he pitted, I think he led by about four seconds. And this is a 35-lap race, one race back in those days, not the multi-race format that became the norm a bit later on. Comes back out, like it, no speed limits, just fires it in, <laughs> fires a churn into it, fires it out. I think he was about 10 seconds behind by the time he got going again. Caught George Fury got rid of him, and then actually didn't have to pass Brock because Brock spun and at Kolb and put it in the sand. Yeah, pressured him into a very rare Brock mistake in, in that, that period, that was rare for Brock to make Peter an Perfect. error yeah. like that. Um, so Fury got back by, Moffat hunted him down, passed him with five to go one by two seconds. I mean, popping a pit stop into your race, the theatre of it all is great, but the, the, the boldness to go and actually, it's one thing to conjure that up, but you've got to go and do it. <laughs> yes. And he didn't just do it, he delivered. And, like, this is an era where pit stops didn't occur in touring car championship rounds because no. they were so short that you wouldn't lose so much time. It was just a race. And we're so, it's so common nowadays. I mean, there's a compulsory pit stop in every basically every race. But even so, like even in this era, there's still, like, latitude, especially at a track like Wanneroo where tyres wear out and tyre condition is so important. You think back to 2016 in the Saturday race, Ludo Lacroix has a moment of genius where he thinks, oh, I'll bring Craig in for Craig Lowndes in for another pit stop, put him on some good tyres and, you know, he'll, sure, he'll come out in 22nd place, with, but he's got 20 laps to go. He'll run everyone down and pass them. And, in, and you know what? He bloody did. Mm. He passed 22 cars to win, win that race. Mm. 
That's good. And there's been a few of those things over the years. There's been the – how did they do that? Mm. There was that 2012 Will Davison one. Mm. Craig Lowndes, 2009. Mm. That was the year that the soft sprint tyre, as it was then known, mm. uh, had been introduced. And I think it was the Sunday, wasn't it? That, that was just, the Sunday race, yeah. He, he'd reused it, I think, from Saturday, but made it last. And everyone was talking, ah, oh, he's screwed, he's screwed, he's screwed, <laughs> he wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's some, there's huh? something about Craig at Bar- that, oh. that was his only win there in a Ford, just as a footnote. Yeah. And it was the first weekend Triple Eight won races there. They actually had a long drought leading up to 2009. Uh, but you think back, that was Craig's 13th race win at Barbagallo slash Wanneroo. He'd won his first 12 in his first 12 race starts. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So he rolls up there in 96, wins all three. Yep. 97, he's off racing F3000. F- mm-hmm. Comes back in 98, wins all three. Yep. 99, wins all three. Yep. And in 2000, wins all three. Yeah. And then goes to Ford and then doesn't win doesn't for win all a three. while. Yeah. So it's a stunning, but it's one of those classic scenarios of a guy that meshes with the place but was clearly in the peak cars of the period in the open tyre era mm. with Bridgestones on them. But you still had to go and do it. You still had to beat We well, still had to Brock, beat his teammate. Scaife. Well, you had to yeah. beat Scaife a couple of years in a row there and did. Mm. I mean, it's a stunning – no one's got a record like that at any other track. And I don't think anyone will no. any time soon. No way. Like 12, 12 races in a row at a track – would be hard to and, do, and but the first 12 races yeah, you from do? from the beginning, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like he turned up with a privateer dunger to begin with. I mean, his, true. His first round, but... Um, but you still got to go out and do the job. And yeah, he did it yeah, that's, that's totally true. I'll tell you who did the job too in Wanneroo when I think back over history, Mark Larkham. I mean, how many people roll their car on the warm-up <laughs> or the formation lap? Seriously. Not many. 2000 and, well, it wasn't even the warm-up for the race, was no, it? No, it was, the, it was the outlap from the pits to the grid. Yeah, yeah, 2001. So that was when he had that yellow livery off the back of that dud ICS smart card deal and he was just trying to patch together a year to get going and something failed. We do tease Larko about it, but something did fail in the rear end that sent him off and up and over. But not the only one to roll at Wanneroo. Um, Steve Ellery, turn one, super cheap car, 03 I think it was. Yep, in the final race of the weekend. Uh, Brad Jones. Bradley Jones, yes. um, uh, remembered one in 05, 04? Yeah, 05, the somewhere um, in there. Team BOC car. Yep, that was him. Um, no, I think that's all the rollovers that I've got. I feel like there There's are more. There's been a few. Oh, uh, Mark Poole rolled the, um, oh, the yes. X-Bathurst winning. 97? Castro- Commodore, yeah. Privateer Dash, I think it was. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's been more of them that we've thought. But the one thing you would normally not think of being a problem in Western Australia we have this thing on the eastern state side of the country where you think it's just always lovely there, weather-wise. Mm. Not so. No. And like the what was it? Eighty-eight was the year that the massive rain shower just hit out of the blue, and they had to do a, a full restart. And this, ladies and gentlemen, this is the perfect example of why we have things called time certain finishes these days. Yes. Because in those days, the TV coverage had a set window of time didn't allow for weird stuff, mm. and so they did, what, 13 laps, full restart. Oh, great. Which is We've a weird to, thing to do which after is a weird 13 thing to do when you've already, completed. Yeah, when yeah. you've already come a fair way um, and started again and then go, well, sorry, guys, we're leaving the telecast now. You're <laughs> off to the news. Uh, you'll get to – so you might get to see it later on that night if they make a window for it or you might never see it. 
ever again. Yeah, it might take 30 years to find it on YouTube to find to find or, out or what Or buy it on DVD. We'll or buy it on DVD. We'll seven sport magic moments. Naturally. Motorsport DVDs, which, by the way, we've got an increased level of stock of those now. Different titles, different varieties. Jump on the V8s with Superstore uh, and have a bit of a squeeze. I think that's the – is that the only one that's been really badly affected by rain? Uh, I feel like 97 copped a fair, oh, yeah, fair yeah. bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Probably I not think, as much. No, but well, you think to a oh, race 93. One, 93 really, was very wet. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But 97, wasn't that the one? So Brock won the round mm, without winning getting, a race. And he got turfed at the first corner of the um, final race as well. Yeah, so that's his last championship round win, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he won races at Oran Park a few weeks later but then dipped out in the finale and lost the round. That's when the tide eliminated, wasn't it? Yes. He would have won the round. Correct, he was yeah. well on target. And that's the one too where... Bow ended up in a ripping fight with Larry. Like one of them on wets, one of them on slicks, or so I something. Think both on fading wets because yeah, it was very it was wet dry. when the race started, and then the sun came out and the track dried out. And they had a ding dong, and it was seriously good car race. It was like Adelaide '94, but for points. Yeah, yeah, they had some good ones in that period. Yeah, and, and I also think back to Perth turning on a great finish with Bow again involved. And JR, Jimmy Richards, in the GDR in 92, like to the point where they mm. clash going through the S's on the last lap. But the in-car cameras poking out of – I think they side. both I had think, cameras, yeah. didn't they? It's poking out of one of them at the other and the cars come very close and then bang, like they're <laughs> colliding and you're going – and that's why I laugh and think you hear people who constantly talk about the good old days and how they never crashed into one another and they never made contact. Bullshit. They were yeah. into it. It was brilliant. Or vice versa, how the Group A era was boring, the GTRs ran away with everything, which was kind of true in 91. But 92, mm. there was some good racing happening. I mean, yeah. That was the second last appearance of the GTR in the championship. Yeah, Oran Park was it mm. not that long later. So thinking of blues and dramas and headaches and grief, 93 actually, that was another one of those wet ones. Jim Richards dominated. That's when it became known as Barbagallo Raceway. Mm. Because Alf Barbagallo had paid for the track works to make the short circuit with the little link. Before you go over the hill. Yeah. But as part of that, he got the naming rights for 25 years. Yes. It's a pretty good deal. Oh, yeah. I reckon, all, all things considered. Hence why in eighteen or 2018 or 2019, everyone started going back to calling it Wanneroo Raceway. Because the deal was up. It was. Yeah. Uh, so that 93 one, Seton wins the championship, actually, despite retiring. Yes. Um. But the thing I think of there, I just have the enduring image of Wayne Gardner spinning to the infield with his arm out the window at Crompton, <laughs> who's just unloaded him one million percent deliberate, <laughs> giving him the F you as he yeah. spins it around and around into the wet scenery and the, the rear bumper comes flailing off the HRT car. Because if you've got a copy of Best Seat in the House, Neil's book, you can read all about his insight into this. Uh, which, by the way, it, we still have copies of that. If you haven't read it, it's a it's a ripper and it tells the full story of this incident. But basically, Neil had been unloaded by Gardner at Amaru in the first round and Neil's driving the GIO Seven car. Seven rounds later. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Uncle Neil has a freaking long memory bank <laughs> and he cashed in that day and had the prime opportunity to drill old mate. And absolutely drilled him, <laughs> got him a cracker, fired him off. I think he got fined a thousand bucks for it. Worth but every he, penny. He said, I, yeah, I, I would have spent more than that. <laughs> <laughs> but th- that was that was probably the most obvious altercation. But it didn't cost a victory 
Mm. Not like the day in the reverse grid race at Wanneroo in 2006 when Paul Radisich was pencilled in as the winner in the Team Kiwi Commodore and then wasn't. Uh, so in my in my memory of this, I imagine the hedging happening in the final corner. But oh, no. I, no, no. I went, yeah, I went back and looked at it before we did this podcast <laughs> and it's like halfway down the exit curb after the final You're corner. You're well out of the corner by then. Yeah. So I, whether Radisic ran out of fuel, I know he said in the coverage that it had started misfiring three laps from home, which um, could potentially be a low on fuel issue. Mm. But in any case, he um, didn't have the go coming out of the final corner that he normally would and certainly not the... Um, not the go that Dean Canto was expecting that car to have and Dean got into the back of him and turned him into the infield and Dino won the race and Team Kiwi never did. And I think a lot of people forget Dean Canto winning that race because when he won with David Reynolds on the Gold Coast in 13, Mm. that was Dave's first win and a lot of people thought it was Dean's. I mean, you could say it was his first real win. Like It wasn't a reverse grid race, but a win's a win. And and he absolutely won that race. Uh, No further action was taken, by the (laughs) way, for the contact between those two boys. But I'm not sure what the action was when Alf Barbagallo mistook the warm-up lap for the Privateers dash in 1995 (laughs) at the circuit for the start of the dash for privateers. Yes. I, I think the um, penalty there was he didn't get to, he wasn't allowed to start the actual dash when he it got took parked. Place. Yeah, yeah, they parked him because it was wildly dangerous that there was this car going at race pace with the driver thinking the race had started uh, and it hadn't. No. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's no. a weird one. I don't I don't think that one's I don't think that one's ever going to happen outside of a commentary booth ever again. Oh, no, you didn't go there, did you? I didn't. What are you talking about? Uh, are you referring? You I need to possibly, provide, you I need to provide more information referring, here. I, I have no other information. Is there a Winton flavour to this? Is that where that happened? Is this a V8 touring car round that a certain commentator may have called a warm-up lap thinking it was the start of the race? Couldn't possibly say, Matt Nolte. I think you just did. Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> We love your work. We love your we work. We do. Actually, spent the weekend, spent the week with uh, with Matt working on the big screen at the Grand Prix. Had a whole pile of fun. Always have fun with Knuckles Nolte. Um, 95, though, the other thing that springs to mind there is the paper mache bonnet. <laughs> the John Bow yes. Falcon. The, the Followed clash, like tinfoil. The, yeah, the, the crash at the start of the the dash, i.e. The, the one for the top runners, it folded that bonnet up like paper mache and I think it made a few people go, Huh? Yeah, that's a bit weird. It's, that's not right. Yeah, and subsequently, of course, it was found that all the Fords were running light, lighter, thinner gauge panels to save weight in order to get down to the minimum racing mm. weight, and quite a few of them, or Ford had also started producing lightweight body shells as well, and um, that was all stamped out. Um, pardon the pun. Oh, did you mean to do that one? No, I, did, I really that didn't. That was actually yeah. good. That was no, nice. Yeah. I, I'd take I'm the impressed. credit, but it wasn't intentional at I, all. I'm impressed with your work on that one. That was... I'd have claimed it just quietly. <laughs> if, if I was you, I'd have absolutely claimed it. A couple of other things spring into my head when I think Wanneroo. The more that we discuss, the more that we look at things. I remember now Brock blitzed them in a Sierra. So that was 1990. So that must yeah. have been the last time he won a championship race in a Ford. With the old bedrock special bridge stones. But I think of the exhaust. Mm. Just <laughs> every time he changed gear, the things just pump and smoke out. What was the deal with that? It was some setup in the way that they. It was something to do produce power or drivability. Uh, yeah, it was beyond my it technical knowledge. Re- there was a, a technical reason for it, and yeah. it was sound, but it just looked horrible. It looked like the thing was about to cough and die every 
second gear shift. The last um, train to Fernie Grove, as Dick Johnson referred to it, yeah. at Oran Park. <laughs> yeah. Which, which to be fair, a car pumping out smoke with Mobile as a sponsor. It's I don't know how that look. flew. It's a win's hey, a win, I guess. A win's a win. Yeah. It's, it's a good car if it's a winning car. And that's when Jim Richards first debuted the GTR, like for him mm. to drive it. Scafer driven at Malala. And they handed it over to Jim for for that one. So and he finished fourth, and just as well he drove the GTR because Scafie was in the old HR thirty one, and it did a drive shaft off the line and, uh, well, and retired. Very good way for that to work out. But the next year they came back, and Scafie won, and that's his first championship win, nineteen ninety one at Wanneroo. It's funny to think of some of the um, more significant moments in M Scafie's career that have occurred that have occurred at Wanneroo. What like, have you got? So first win, 91. First, first championship race win, yes. 1994, he mathematically clinched the title there. Um, Why do I have a feeling that this was something <laughs> he didn't do to do that? Well, it, it's a weird one. So he Please mathem- explain. So he mathematically clinched the title where the moment Peter Brock drew three for the Peter Jackson dash that well, was so in the morning of the race. He, it wasn't even the card that Scafie drew. No. It was, so why, why did Brock's card so I can't remember the exact numbers, but Brock basically had to to score every possible point from the last two rounds of the season. So Scafe had all but clinched the title at Malala. He virtually had to just not sleep in and he would win. Basically. So for Brock to score maximum points, he had to win both races at each of the final two rounds. Hope Scafe didn't score and also score the maximum amount of the point of points in both Peter Jackson dashes, which at that point weren't setting the grid, but you earned points for first, second, and third, and you also earned passing points. That's so right. So to get the maximum amount of points, Brock had to start from sixth, win the dash, and then do that a couple of times. Uh, so the moment he drew three, that was it. Job done. Championship over. Congrats. Wow. I hadn't Stuff like this I hadn't really remembered and pondered. Have you got anything else scafy from Wanneroo? So- we're, of course, very familiar with M. Scafe as a commentator now. True. His, his first Touring Car Championship commentary effort was here at Wanneroo in 1989. Well, really? Yeah. Oh, because he was kind of the third Nissan and there wasn't driver a third and Nissan there wasn't yet. a third one. They only ran two that weekend. Yeah. And there was no Mike Raymond, and I'm not sure why Mike wasn't at that round. Maybe something to do with Charlotte or NASCAR or I don't know. Um, but in any case, it was Wilk- Gary Wilkinson and Neil Crompton. And they were joined by team racing driver Mark Scaife. Oh, okay. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Is that the one too where Dick didn't realise that the time of the race had changed and yes. he pitted before the end or something like that? So that so eighty nine was the first year of one hour timed races to again, like you said earlier, to fit the broadcast window, kind of in the wake of the whole mess at Wanneroo the year before. Yep. Um, however, for Perth, they only had a one hour broadcast window, so they brought the race time down to I think forty nine or fifty minutes. Oh no! Uh, and it was a wet race where the track was drying and Dick thought, oh, there's 15 minutes left to go on the race. I'm going to pop some slicks on here because everyone else will be. Turned out there were five minutes left. So he dropped all the way back in the pack, recovered to third and, um, yeah, but it wasn't a win. And I'll never forget the um, auto action, the cartoon 
that week Stony? where it's, it wasn't Sony. Oh, it was, John, it was, it was Gearman, Gearman that yeah. era um, where it's Mike Raymond that's been knocked over and robbed by the two DJR drivers who were speeding off in a Sierra. And John Bow asks Dick, did you get Raymond's wallet? And Dick just says, nah, but I got his bloody watch. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I do remember that now, come to think of it. And it's, it links actually into what's going on at the moment. And, and the Grand Prix was a great example on the weekend. Oh, we've got to get away from, unless it's a race that you know, i.e. Bathurst, where the lap count's the lap count, they need to just present them as timed races. I mean, if, if you think you're going to get a 15-lap race and you get an 8-lap race, you feel like you've been ripped off. I feel, I feel like that's going to happen regardless. If you're expecting a lot of racing and you get four racing laps or eight racing laps, it's still not much. No, but I it's mean- It's a proportionality but, thing. Yeah, but I mean if, if you've got on your TV screen, if, if you've got it saying X laps of 15 or whatever it might be, and you only end up at eight or 10 or nine or 11 or seven or wherever I, it ends up- I agree up, that's not a but, good look. But- I think it'd be better just to go. It's thirty. It's a fortnight, like that race was. It's a fifty-minute race. Whatever happens in fifty minutes is whatever happens. Then at least it doesn't feel like because not every fan who follows the sport or watches casually on telly knows it has the subregs in front of them and the time certain yes. finish, unless it gets hammered into them from the start. And sometimes you just overlook that if you're in TV land because you're just too busy making mm. TV. I just feel like it's a thing where we need to look at and go well. So there's no surprises. It's a 30-minute race. We've got 30 minutes, whatever happens in this time, rather than presenting it as X laps and you end up short. I think it's something to look at. I do get that and I do agree that that would be a sensible thing to do, but I think the complaint would just pop up in a different way with people being upset about it. People will always complain, though. That's the thing. It's... I mean, four racing laps out of a, out of 15. Oh, yeah, sure. No, absolutely. And I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but I think you've got to also look at the way you present and package things and... If it's like you go into a shop, something says $20 on it, you take it to the counter and they say it's $29. Hang on a minute, that's not what I thought I was getting. Um, It's just still, it's just, it's one of those things that I think it's important in the the grand scheme of things. Uh, I also think, too, when they resurfaced Wanneroo, Mm. 04, I think it was. 04, yeah. The times tumbled. But when do you reckon the racing's been at its best there? That's a good question. Um, because I'd argue the, the racing's been best when the tracks when the track surface is worn out and you've got to really think on your feet with strategy and manage your tires. It gives that whole scenario where you've got to create differences to get good race when the cars are all largely the same. So yeah. you have drop away in tires rather than having to worry about different compounds of tires so much. If you you do tend to get a spread there because hey, look, the good drivers look after them and the not-so-good drivers don't look after them as well. So you do tend to end up with this stretchy sort of thing where you do get difference. But I, I reckon that when they resurfaced it, I mean, the times tumbled. I think they're, the qualifying lap record dived by 1.7 seconds from year, on year, year to year, was, which, yeah. was, which was pretty impressive in the grand scheme of things. But in that sort of mid to late 2000s period, I feel like we got some racing, but we had a year with a reverse grid race. We had a couple of on-track incidents that sent some fast runners back into the pack and they had to fight their way through. So it's kind of always been a place that when we when we sat down to look at doing this podcast, my first impression was, is there enough to talk about in the weird and wacky and wild from Wanneroo? And it was very quickly clear that 
Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> there has been a lot of stuff there. Well, we ended happened up with, over the years. Well, we ended up with four pages of notes. And we did. As preparing it, we kind of rolled out of the throttle after going a bit hard in the early years because we figured we'd be here for the next week and a half. Well, it's funny you mentioned roll out of the throttle, Will, because that's part of the story at Wanneroo in 2007. When <laughs> Garth Tander, yes. who finally won at home, didn't win before or since um, – for the Toll HSV dealer team, and it was the year of all years for him to win because it was the year that he won the championship. That's when the VE Commodore was brand new, and I think he sat in the very chair that I'm in at the moment. He sure in did. Here, what, three years ago, something like that, four years ago, telling us the story about how he and Mark Scaife got so busy trying to beat one another that they kind of forgot that the team had actually said, ooh, ease back, we don't want a parity adjustment on this VE Commodore just <laughs> yeah. yet, and they kind of forgot about it because they were into it. Yes, and I think it was after a late race safety car restart, and I want to say Rick Kelly was the next car on the road, so they didn't have a heap of laps to get properly stuck into it. I don't have how many racing laps they had to do this in, but they put 10 seconds into Rick in, the, in, the, in that period of time. <laughs> He's in the same car. In the same car. Ouch. That's a so, yeah, they got a bit carried away. Uh, just a little bit carried away. Uh Will Davison put on a pretty good burnout when he won in the Merc in 15. He got a little carried away that day, but I mean, rightly so. Rightly yeah. so. That was another one of – that was a pretty unexpected win, but that was another tyre race where he hunted Lowndes down in the closing stages, got the win for the Merc. That's the car that Penrite bought hmm. um, late last year out of the Erebus collection of cars to put in their collection of cars. So I think that car's going to actually have a run here or there in the future. It's in that retro white Penrite livery that it ran back in um, the back the end of that end season. Of, so, yeah. But that's a special car. And that's a – I think if Will Davison looked at his list of career wins and there's a few Bathursts and there's some, some good stuff in there, I reckon that one sits out pretty high in the list because the move to Erebus didn't work for him in the grand scheme of things of how it was planned to be and mm. what it was looked to be. But that was the one day where – it all clicked together. That I love the sound and the look of that car. I reckon the silver Merc in 15 was the, the best looking of the Erebus Mercs. But you it was kind of at least there was one day where he can pinpoint and go, yep, that worked for that day. Whereas most times you just have two years of nothing worked. Mm. Well, you think back to the start of that year, the Merc was actually not a, not a bad car. Like he was competitive at Simmons Plains previous mm. to that. Mm. Uh but the other thing about that 15 race that he won, this, and this goes back to some of the stuff that we saw on the weekend at Albert Park, that was a, um, I believe that was a mixed tyre compound weekend. I think it was. And no. FPR. They all blend into one yeah, after a while. And Pro, and Pro Drive Racing Australia's, I think it was that year, um, dominated the weekend but chose for the final race to run their softer compound first and then were caught out by a mid-race safety car uh, period yeah. where everyone else then fitted theirs and ran them down. Bye-bye. Yeah, a mid-race safety car period caused by Will Davison's teammate, Ash Walsh. Ash Walsh, that's yeah. right. Not that I'm certainly not suggesting any impropriety. Oh, no, it's just, no, no, no. just funny how, how these things happen. How, how it all plays There's out. There's no code red. No, no. i tell you what, Scott Pye would have had a code brown, though, um, <laughs> a couple of years before that when he went on that wild ride coming over the crest of the hill down the hill. I think it was Garth Town and one of the Kelly boys. Yeah, I think it was Rick. Yeah, yeah. three and a one, and that yellow Lucas Dumbrell Commodore got sure went. spat out and – I think Larko went out and measured it. I think he went out, physically <laughs> went out there. Sounds and, like something and, he'd do. And, and could, he found where the spot was where it had hit the ground after it had flown. And I think he came up He came up with how many metres it had actually flown for before it 
landed, which was a pretty good stat um, from memory. Probably but one Scott Pye didn't want to know about. No, it. no, I don't think he ran back and told Scott about it, no. but we all heard about it in the compound, so that was good. 60-60 super sprint that weekend too. So was that when we were doing the restart? Had we dumped the rolling starts by that stage or were we still doing those well, for the I restart? I feel like they were, they were still happening. They were, oh. Yeah, it was still a rolling restart because I don't think they were dumped until – the following year when Jason Bright's car got turned into a potato at, at Adelaide. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Super Sprint 6060 thing, it's the 10th anniversary of the 6060 Super Sprint this year. In the words of the late Doug Mulray, a time best forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been plenty of mulray in in the last week or two, the news while we're at the Grand Prix, kind yeah. of his, his passing, some, some ace stories um, too about Mulray and um, – I reckon we need to go and find some of those great clips from over the years and wheel them out on socials because they were just – you're not going to see that stuff ever no, again no, in, in motorsport or in, in broadcasting in this country, that's for sure. Uh, but one thing we hadn't seen at Wanneroo for a very long time either, but we did get to see it in recent times, was night racing. Mm. I really reckoned that's the perfect place for it because of the – it's like a bull ring. It's like a pretty small – facility generally obviously yes it drops over the back to cold corner but i thought that was a great place for night racing and when you took the time element into consideration probably not perfect for if you're on site but for for us because let's face it it's all about us it was really good <laughs> well this is the thing like wanneroo has a rich history of night racing i mean mm. they like a lot of their club events like they have night masters a lot of like twilight late evening nighttime racing I, I agree. It was a it was a it was a really cool event to watch. Although I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that works timing wise with East Coast viewing and making sure it's dark in Perth, um, yeah. given it's two hours behind the East Coast. Well, three hours now. Oh yeah, daylight saving Gonski here in yeah. our part of the world. So yeah, you, you could you know to have a race on at nine thirty our time, six thirty there, which is not quite getting to where you needed yeah. to get to. Yes. Super Twilight. Super Twilight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look at you go. There's yeah, a thing here. I'll send the invoices in the mail. I was going to say, you can send that through and I'm sure it will get sent right back at some point in time. First and lasts. There's been a few of those mm -hmm. over the journey. Last place that a Tirana won in the championship, Alan Grice, 1980, the Craven Mild car. Yep. The LXSS Tirana, as it was by that stage. because it had been, Yeah, it had all of its spunkiness stripped yes. out of it, basically. Yeah. Uh, John Bauer, his first pole in the Volvo yeah. in 86. He had a good run until the thing went bye-bye uh, um, from an engine perspective. Mm. We mentioned Scafi having his breakthrough win there in 91. Yep. It's also the place where Tony Longhurst won his only race in the Perkins-built Commodore. Yes. Remember that he won in 94? Yeah, yeah. Um, Alan Jones didn't win that weekend, on or off the track either. Oh, he did win on the track. I oh, did actually. Not he won, he won the other race. Won the round. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm thinking of Longhurst winning. I think that might have been his last championship round win too. Yeah, I, I can't think of another reckon, one after that. I reckon you're probably right. But that's the one where he got in the blue with the official. Yes. And there was an eight grand fine reduced to a thousand bucks on appeal. So uh, that one was in the papers. That's that, for sure. Yeah. In that incredible era where auto action was able to run the word Biff on as a major headline on its front page, two two issues in a row. <laughs> Because it immediately <laughs> followed off the back of the um, Winton two-liter race between Tony Longhurst uh, and Paul yeah, Morris. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I think AJ Biff Ban question mark was the um. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah. That's totally right. That's totally right. Well, and more controversy later on. I mean, two thousand and five, Ambrose and Scaife 
Turn one, race two, collision going in the first corner from the front row of the grid. Scaife's bogged. Ambrose escapes. And this is this was after they'd collided Eastern Creek, isn't it? Before. Or the other way around. Other, other way, way around. So intensity's lifting. Marcus is the two-time reigning champ who's already announced he's going at the mm. end of the year to go to NASCAR. And this is the one that Ambrose – like they they, pit, they gave him a drive-through, didn't they? They gave but him a drive-through in the race and he came back from the back of the field to finish third. And it was kind of like they went, well, we didn't ping you enough, so they whacked him again post-race. Yeah, And he melted down penalty. on TV and absolutely gave him a, a, a mouth off, didn't he? It, it, I went looking for it but couldn't find it in time before we recorded. It was something to the effect of, well, they're clearly getting the result they want um, and I can't wait to leave. <laughs> Yeah, that, Words that was to that effect. Yeah, and this was right in that period of the mid two thousands when that whole "oh, you're bringing the sport into disrepute" um, charge was. I mean, Rick Kelly got done the year before at Albert Park, five grand for comments he made about Ingle from an on track incident. To be honest, they were out of control and incorrect. I would say that that does not bring the sport into disrepute. No. I would say it brings the sport into the headlines, and it's real. Yeah. Like that, that, but there was a big thing at the time of I don't know. It's bringing the sport into disrepute. Well, Marcus had to do ended up doing a big apology on, was on RPM, RPM the, the following next week, week yeah, to try right. to, which helped mitigate or reduce the fine that had been levied mm, against mm. him for what he said. So, so out of all of that, it overshadowed completely that Russell Ingle won the last race. Yeah, I think that's one of only two races he won to win the championship that year. Correct, so, he won a race at Oran Park after that, and um, yeah, then hung on to win the title and got the job done. Got the job done. Well, well no one was winning there in 2010, though. But ironically, no. <laughs> everyone was pretty much in Perth. Yeah. So we had this scenario, and there was a few times over the journey where Supercar of Esco, as it was then, was saying, "Ah, we're out of Perth. We're not going back." Tried to get a street race up, uh, street race up down there. Uh, and I think it was about 0102 that they went, nah, we're not coming back. And I think VB stepped up, Carlton United Breweries, to yes, help yeah. get that deal to keep V8s in WA. And that's one of the really great appeals, um, particularly those outside supercars in other sports and in sponsorship land too. The fact that this championship races in all points of the country, mm. I mean, that's a pretty big part of the country to miss. Yeah. In terms of not just the land mass, but yes. you know the population that's there, the sponsorship interests that are over there. So in 2010, there was no round in Perth, yet the teams still did ride days at the track. They still did sponsor functions. Their drivers all spent time in Perth around a similar time. And I remember that where there was a function that I hosted. Norton, who were a big backer at the time, um, they supported Triple Eight. They supported James Moffat. Um, I think Winterbottom had some form of deal with them. I can't remember. But there was three or four of them at a function that I hosted at the casino in Perth and they craned James Moffat's car into the casino <laughs> at clearly great expense. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it would be a cheap thing to execute. No, no. And it was this great function. We had a great night. There was probably 150, 250 people um, in the nightclub section from my memory or this function area inside the casino and everyone's having a great time. But it was so weird. But it was actually good because the drivers were quite relaxed compared <laughs> to it being a race weekend. I think they let their guard down a little bit too much in the chats that we did on stage because normally in a race weekend everyone's got race mode going on. Yeah. But no race going on. 
I reckon that the filter was dispatched on a couple <laughs> of them from my memory, uh, and it was a ripping night, but it was a really weird thing that here we were um, in Perth and a pile of different drivers and teams over there and doing ride days because that was part of the commitment to sponsors mm. that we're going to be in Perth, so part of the deal for you sponsoring is we do a ride day and you can put some of your guests through the cars and then no round no in round, Perth. So but, yeah. Oh, shit, we've got to <laughs> yeah. we have to take the cars to Perth to be able to um, – give people rides in them. So that's the thing. Like, really dis- weird. Well, despite, well, despite all the threats to like the, um, the rumors of Wanneroo's demise from the calendar has al- always been, you know, greatly exaggerated apart from that one year. Mm. I mean, we missed a couple of years during COVID missed 2020, 2021, mm-hmm. but we've raced consistently at Wanneroo. You think, you think of all, a lot of the circuits that have changed and evolved over that time, Wanneroo, apart from its resurfacing and the facilities changing around the circuit, the pit lane moving, the track itself has the been the same. The track's the same layout. Like it hasn't Since been extended it, yeah, or, or... 73. Yeah, it hasn't been extended. There's been talk of it being extended and various yeah. works and things happening, but we have to keep going there as a championship and a sport because it's it's one of those tracks that is its heritage. It's I mean, we've talked for, what, nearly 50 minutes about... That's just the interesting and weird and wacky stuff. There's a million other things that we could go into there that we haven't actually covered off on. But mm. it's got so much history that you have to keep those heritage rounds. Yep, they might not draw as big a crowd as a street race or have that much as big a TV exposure as the street rounds and the marquee events, but they're crucial to to this whole thing still sneaking by and being a thing. Totally correct. Totally correct. There was a thing, though, that I just remembered actually – was there was a few penalties given over the years that people got a bit frothy about? Do you remember Scaife getting pinged for a bump and run on Murph? And even Murph said that it was wrong <laughs> at the time when Kmart and HRT hated one another's guts. Yeah, I'll bet I'll bet Mark remembers this one because that's the one in two thousand and two that cost him a shot at equaling Jim Richards' record for consecutive round wins because he won every round. Yeah, that he he was up to five consecutive round wins. And was going for six, which was Jim's record from 1985, which Shane Van Gisbergen only recently equaled last year during his incredible run of form. Um, and yeah, the bump and run ended, or the penalty, I should say, ended that. And it was a final. It was at the final corner from uh, uh, turn one, I think. From was it turn one? It was, like okay. it was lightest of rub, yeah. the lightest rub, and he slipped by, and they pit lane penalty him, which I think was the year before he'd had a similar one at Calder with, with Stephen Steve Johnson. Johnson. So that's why he got particularly frothed up about oh two, and I think he was justified too. It wasn't uh, – there wasn't really all that much in it, but it was that period where – but I think even though he didn't win, Bright still won, didn't he? I think that is Yeah, correct. yeah, he won. Yeah. He, so he kept the streak going for the team, just not for the driver. Just not for M. Scaife. And, and Brighty was really good there. You know, four he won as well for PWR. So he had, <laughs> he had a good – run there while he was in, you know, that sort of Clayton Commodore yeah. sort of period. And because because he won in 04 and that was a year it was resurfaced, he held the lap record for years yeah. and years and years <laughs> afterwards. Right, it's only recently it, it fell. And speaking of formats and stuff like that, 2011 I think it was the year where they had three races and they had two qualifyings or one, I can't remember, but they basically did the whole get you your two, two fastest, fastest laps. laps from the one yeah. session to determine the two grids. But the other thing that we haven't covered off on, that's Brad Jones Racing's first win in the championship when Jason yes. Bright won there in 2011. So there was kind of the Rindler thing going on within the same team, the same weekend, big fireball, big publicity. But then don't forget too that that's actually 
the team winning. Although they, yes, they had won a non-champ race at Albert Park in 05, but this was you know yeah. the first time in a a championship race. And was it was on, a one three because Bargs was on the podium. That's right, as well. it was too in the Jana Living Orange. Yeah, it looked like a Jaffa, didn't it? That <laughs> thing from memory. A <laughs> yes. um, couple of other things that stand out that I thought we'd just quickly cover off before we finish up on this. Um, Volvo's win with McLaughlin in 14 was the first win for Volvo in the championship. Yeah, because he'd won a race at Albert Park. Yeah, he had. Yeah, yeah, he had. And then Mostert won on the Sunday. His first and points race win for FPR. Yeah, so there was a bit going on, and that was the one where Crompo's voice had failed. I think he was mm. struggling going into Saturday, and they parked him, and I think I called that race with Scaifey. And Matt White maybe? Or was he? No. Matty White, I think, had left seven after New Zealand that year. Ah, yes. He'd gone back to ten. Yeah. So Murph was on the scene helping out. And then on Sunday, they'd saved Neil up for Sunday. I think he got ten laps in and his voice packed up. So he, they did a, a mid-race handball, which I was there anyway because I used to do the ad break commentary. Um, yes, to, to for the heard. world feed. Yeah. So I just swapped chairs and plugged in a different headset and did that one and um, – and Chazzy held off Lowndes, actually. So that was probably a um, a bit of an overlooked result in Chaz's career because apparently he won another race later that year that was pretty important. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, not sure. There's been a lot of actually – I think he led more laps at Barb Gallo. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's been a lot of fightbacks at Wanneroo from bad qualifying to race wins or strong results. We talked about before with um, – you know, Lowndes going to the back of the field after a pit stop. But then McLaughlin won in 18 from 19th on the grid. Yeah. And he made a lot of those those, those positions up early in the race when I think there was an early safety car period and he came in and stopped and came out like seventh or eighth or something. Mm, mm. Um, still had to still had to gain the rest of the positions, but yeah, it was a remarkable fight. But you wouldn't expect that from that far down on the grid. No, and Penske had a good run there for those mm. last few years before the COVID break. Because well, Scott had an exceptionally good Scott run. Scott was on fire. I mean, he won in seventeen there. That was his first race win with Penske. Um, swept the weekend. The other thing is too, I think everyone's forgotten Frosty's win mm. in sixteen, which it's not his last win, but. It was in the season that he had his last win because he won at New Zealand yeah. later at Pookie later on that year. I think so. that was his first win as reigning champion. And I was talking earlier about how Craig Lowndes did an extra stop to win the Saturday race that weekend. Well, Winterbottom did one less stop to win the Sunday race. Yeah, that's right. And he was trying to hang on at the end. Yeah. And I think he came across Aaron Russell. Who yeah. was drove for Erebus at the time, and he was going, going ballistic, trying to get him out of the way. But Russell was on good tyres, yeah. so he was kind of faster than him. So it was <laughs> yeah. one of those awkward things of this guy's in my way, but I actually can't get like, past with him. him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he needs to be moved. Yeah, didn't work. Um, oh well, I mean, and we've seen controversy and drama at that place. Not just all the stuff we've spoken about, but it went on last year. Waters and Davison. Uh, yes. Cam wins the race, loses the win. Will gets the win. Cam was out of bounds. Cam didn't agree with it all. This place just creates drama. And, I mean, this podcast is the proof of it. It really is. And, like, there's stuff in, in our notes that we just haven't had time to get to. Yeah. We, and we stuff that we haven't day. had time to write we'll, down. We're like here all day. But yeah. there's more than enough there that if you were to sit down and put together a hype reel or a highlight reel, you've got plenty of content. That's mm. that's absolutely for sure. And we get another chapter written this year Uh in the Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. So we've got a couple of weeks now between uh, Supercars Championship events so we can ponder some more of what it all means and what's the next chapter of Perth weirdness that's going to be added. Um, 
I don't think the chief timekeeper, though, is going to walk out with the stopwatches this time, though. I think we're okay. <laughs> I think we should be fine. So let's hope that 78 doesn't repeat in 23. We can only hope. We can only hope. I think we'll be safe. I think we'll be Or that right. we have another gate issue like we had last time. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I that was Team the, 18 has. The Scott Pye crash. That's yeah. right. And took forever to get that. Why is it that when cars crash on walls where there's a gate, they find the gate every time? <laughs> every time. Guaranteed. Lock it in. Lock it in. Hey, next week uh, we're going to have a QA and a episode of the pod, so get your questions in over the course of the next seven days and nights um, via socials, via our um, contact page on our v8sleuth.com.au website. There's always plenty of questions. But for the pods, I think we'd rather go with the history stuff. If you've got some current stuff, fire it into the Castrol Motorsport News podcast, guys. Every Tuesday, Stefan AVL with the best analysis and insight in supercars, local and, and um, international motorsport as well. It's award-winning. There you go. I've said it. I have to say it every time now <laughs> or else they get the shirts with me because it is award-winning. In fact, it's multiple award-winning it with is. that podcast. So tune in every Tuesday. You can get it wherever you listen to your pods, of course, every Wednesday with the V8 Sleuth podcast as well. And Repco Supercars Weekly uh, will be this week on Thursday before the Easter break kicks in for Good Friday. So, uh, Will, happy Easter to you. Happy what Easter are you doing you. for it? Are you doing anything exciting? Or? Uh, going to see a concert, um, doing a couple of other things with family. So, yeah, it should be a nice relaxing weekend. Nice. I like it. Whatever you're doing, our listeners, for Easter, have a safe one, and we will chat to you again next week. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticket Tech. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.